I discovered this week, as I was trying to figure out what I wanted to talk about, that a passage of scripture I have been reading for years I don't understand. So I worked on it for about three or four days, and I think I understand it now. And if I do understand it, praise God. If I don't understand it, shame on me. I'm going to be in the gospel. And the thing that grabbed me is there's a sequence going on here. Last week's reading was at the end of John 2, and of course, this week's reading is the beginning of John 3. So let me get you to John 2 first. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Yeshua, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. And then today's reading is a man comes to him, Nicodemus. So the two of those flow. And I talked about this last week, more in Midrash than in here. But the idea here is that Yeshua knows what the heart of man is. And we've talked about this a lot. The heart of man is not a good thing in Scripture. I don't think God has anything good to say about the heart of men in Scripture anywhere. Going clear back to Genesis. So the sequence here is Yeshua knows what's in a man. Then the man Nicodemus shows up. Then we talk about being born again, rebirth. Nicodemus doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. So Yeshua then rebukes him and says, if I've told you earthly things and you do not believe and so forth. So the idea is, as a leader of the Jews, he should understand what's going on and the fact he doesn't is important. Then we have the football passage, John 3.16. That's what you see on banners at football games everywhere. For God so loved the world. But then we have this riff on light. And I'm going to pick it up at John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Everybody knows that. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. In other words, the reason he's here is for a repair job. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. That's very clear. I understand that one perfectly. Don't have a problem with that. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. All right, I understand that. Okay, I got the metaphor. But it occurred to me, we may have a chiasm here, Tom, just for you. Because the book of John starts off, In the beginning was the word, And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. Straightforward. In Him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. That's where I hit reset. Wait a minute. Don't understand what just got said there. 
the book of John is very heavy on light metaphors. And in fact, in John 8, talking to the Pharisees, Yeshua spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have light of life. It's the light of life. That's the thing that is sort of getting me to stutter, this idea of equating light and life. And by the way, the other two books that are really heavy on light metaphors are Psalms and Isaiah. So John's writings, Psalms, and Isaiah are the three heavy on light parts of Scripture. So I'm going to be at least in Isaiah and John. So, lots of the metaphors about light are really obvious. For example, the one in John 3 is obvious. You know, people who are doing evil stuff like to be in the darkness so they don't get exposed. Very clear. Things hidden versus exposed. Knowledge and wisdom. In other words, someone is enlightened. And that indicates that they know the truth or they have knowledge or they have wisdom. Again, a very clear metaphor. Got that one. Guidance. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Also very clear. Don't have any problem with that one. But when we get to life, as I say, I sort of stumbled. The other thing that light is used of is the face of God. One of the things we say is, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, who in the light of your face gave us the Torah, right? So the idea of the light of his face, I think, may mean attention. In other words, you're looking at us, and that's okay. And then in Revelation 21, also written by John, we have a vision. 21-23, the city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of the Lord gives it light. Straightforward. And its lamp is the Lamb. So when Yeshua says that he's come into the world and he is the light of the world, that metaphor then continues on to Revelation where the Lamb himself is the lamp. Lamp, of course, shines light. So why are we using this metaphor for life? That's the part that I stumbled on, and it took me about three days to figure it out. Let's go to Luke for a minute. I'm sort of peppering you with scripture here. So I'll be in Luke 11.33. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Straightforward. Your eye is the lamp of your body. Oh, wait a minute. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. How can light be darkness? As you really start thinking about these metaphors that I've read all my life, I start to say, wait a minute, what's going on here? So verse 36, if then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, you will be wholly bright as when a light with its rays give you light. So the idea here is your eye, which in case anybody doesn't get it, is the organ of your body that is a receptor of light. That's the part of your body that perceives light. And the idea that when your eye is healthy, your body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your body will be full of darkness. And by the way, 
Darkness is a created thing. God creates light and he creates darkness. And the darkness is not the absence of light, although that is an indicator. So if the light goes out, you know you're in darkness. And that's the normal darkness that we experience. You know, you turn off the lights at night, you go to bed, you're in darkness. Again, no problem. But the darkness that God creates is different. And in fact, we see that darkness that he has created in the plagues of Egypt. And we'll see it again in Revelation. So it's more than just the absence of light. It is something that can be felt. So the idea then that the light in you can be darkness is the metaphor we're dealing with. So, why are we using this metaphor? Well, let me take you to another place. Matthew chapter 18, verse 7. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom temptations come. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. Now, notice hands, feet, and eyes. Your feet are the thing that takes you to the place where you're going to do sin. Your hands are the things that you do sin with. And your eye is the thing that tempts you to sin. And that takes us inexorably to Genesis 3, right? So let's look at Genesis 3. And, of course, that's the incident where we ate of the wrong fruit. So Genesis 3. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. Ah, there we have eyes again. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw, used her eyes and saw, that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, you all getting the message here? And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together to make themselves loincloths. So what I'm suggesting to you is this metaphor of light and eyes goes all the way back to the garden. So when Yeshua comes and he says, I am the light of the world, and we have in our passage today that the reason he has come is to repair things. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. So he has come to repair things, and the reason that he's using the metaphor of being the light of the world is because the whole thing started to go to pot because of the eyes. So when he says that life is light, what he is saying is that a person who has ceased from sin has ceased following his eyes and is instead following the word of God and that his deeds are good and his body is full of light. For those who do not do what's good but do follow their eyes, if you will, their body is full of darkness. 
And so what he says is, I have come as the light. I have come to repair that. I have come to get things back on track the way God intended them to be. So the other metaphor, and you've all heard this many times, but I will say it again because you probably need to hear it again. The metaphor in the Torah is not look. The metaphor is listen. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? The word of God. And so the whole business in the Torah doesn't talk about your eyes at all. It talks about your ears. Listen. Pay attention. Hear. And as I've said several times, there isn't any word in Hebrew for obey. There isn't modern Hebrew, but not in biblical Hebrew. The word that is translated obey in your Bible is some variation of listen or hear. And of course the idea, if God is talking to you, listen up. We had a saying in the military where you grab somebody by the stacking swivel and you said, I'm going to talk and you're going to listen. That's typically not a happy conversation. But the point is, when God speaks, what you're supposed to do is hear. And if you hear what he says, then you're supposed to do it. So the metaphor in the Torah is ears, not eyes. And what Yeshua has done is come in order to repair the eyes. So, has anybody noticed that we get bombarded with images? Does anybody watch television anymore? Is it all internet now? I haven't had a television since 1976, and my dear wife, when we got married, took a course and got turned off of television, so we've never had a television. Now, I have the internet, so I watch movies and stuff like that. I'm not suggesting that my eyeballs are pure because I don't have a television. But the point is, the nice thing about the Internet, as opposed to television, is you do have some control over what kind of images you get fed. But then again, what's available on the Internet is way worse than what used to be available on television, so it's mixed bag there, if you will. But the point is, the world bombards us with images because images go into our eyes, and the world knows that images originally were what got us into trouble. So you get these images all the time, and you can't unnotice things. Somebody once said that your brain is like a closet that never gets cleaned out. Everything that you see is in there somewhere. I mean, you may not be able to remember it, and as I get older, not being able to remember some things is a blessing. But the point is you can't get rid of it. One of the metaphors for light, by the way, that is obvious, is truth. Walking in the light means that you're doing things that are truth. And so what the world is doing is bombarding you with tempting images, trying to get you to pay attention to what it wants to get you to pay attention to. And the world is also trying to get you to lie. It always starts with sexual perversion. And the current thing right now is there is no such thing as gender. It's just whatever you want. In fact, years ago, there was a Monty Python movie called The Life of Brian. And I'm not sure I've ever actually watched the movie entirely. But there's a snippet in there called the Loretta scene. And these four guys are sitting in an amphitheater. And one of them says, I want to be a woman. And Cleese says, you what? 
Yeah, I want to have babies. You don't have a womb. I don't care. I want to have babies. I want to be a woman. And Gleesha's final response to it is, you're disconnected from reality. And the whole point here is, we are becoming disconnected from reality. The idea being they're feeding us these images and trying to disconnect us from reality, trying to disconnect us from the light, trying to disconnect us from the truth. And that's one of the reasons that light is such a heavy metaphor in Scripture, and especially, as I say, in Isaiah, John, and Psalms. Because if you let your eyes lead you, what you're going to wind up is eating apple cobbler. And that's what happened in the garden. So you've got to guard your eyes. Now, I'll give you one more, and then I will close and we'll do something else. I'm going to take you to Isaiah, uh, chapter 50. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Very straightforward. Verse 11. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. Now what's being said there? There's two kinds of light. There's the light that's from God, and there is the light that's from men. Remember the key phrase is, you who kindle a fire and equip yourselves with burning torches. In other words, you who are rolling your own light as opposed to using the light that I've provided. And those of you who walk in your own light, who roll your own, if you will, you shall lie down in torment. Because the light that we create will lead us astray as opposed to the light that God gives us, which leads us into truth. So again, as you read these metaphors about light, stop and think about them. That's what I did, and as I said, it took me three days to figure this out. I'm sure you all got it more quickly. But metaphor is used consistently in Scripture. Once God uses a metaphor in Scripture, he keeps using that metaphor consistently. So as you go through Scripture and you hit these metaphors, don't just sort of blast on past them. I mean, how many times have you read the John 3.16 passage? Most of you can probably recite it by heart. And so as you read it, you sort of blast through it and you don't get it because there's more to it. And the metaphor goes all the way back to the garden. That's not obvious on the surface. So... Don't kindle your own fire. Use God's light. That's what he wants you to do.